Welcome to Simply Remarkable, created by Remarkable Ace Bookers Bureau, and I'm Sue Falcone, the CEO and founder of Remarkable. We're so glad you're here with us today. The chat is open. Feel free to join us on the live chat. And I want to wish everyone a happy Veterans Day. Today's a special day in the lives of all those who have served. And since I'm a veteran's wife, our, C, our CFO is, uh, is a veteran, that we are, this is a special day. So we just want to uh, thank you for your service, veterans, and we appreciate you so much. Now, we began this show so that everyone could see the remarkable talent that we have at Remarkable. Yes. And you get to know them a little more personal, find out their backstories, find out how they have become and live remarkable so that you can too. And you might just find the perfect match if you're looking for talent for your next event. This might just be the perfect show for you. Now, today, I just want to thank our next our guest today. He is the remarkable Frank King. Now, <laughs> he is a international suicide prevention speaker and expert. He's a mental health comedian. You say, how does that happen? Now, he's a funny speaker who became a serious speaker who's funny. And we're going to find out all about that. He's a TEDx talker and he helps people learn how to be TEDx talkers too. And he is certified. His virtual is certified. He does it in 10 different languages, okay? The art of technology. Can you believe that? I mean, honestly. And he is a best-selling author. So we welcome Frank King to the stage today. Thank you so much. Yay, Frank. And he's coming to us from Oregon. So thank you, Frank, for getting up early. You are welcome, and um, just outside of Eugene, Oregon, so I must add to Go Ducks. Yay! Yay! Go Ducks! Although, having gone to Chapel Hill, go Heels! So. Exactly, exactly. Because he is originally from North Carolina, just like where I'm coming to you from, our headquarters. And um, so that we're all over the, the country today, but we're going to have a great time to find out more about Frank King. Now, to start off, right, now you wrote jokes for The Tonight Show for 20 years, and I am sure we didn't know it, but we laughed at your jokes. You, you are correct. I usually had one or two more Now, how did you do that? How did you land into that world? Well, if you're old enough to remember, Jay Leno was the permanent guest host for Johnny Carson. Exactly. And Johnny was a rather mercurial fellow. He would pull up on a Friday night and tell his staff, out of nowhere, I'm taking next week off. Mondays was best, of course, in the rerun, but the other four nights of the week were live shows. That meant Jay Leno had to come up with four nights worth of monologues, 18 jokes per monologue over the weekend. So he started hiring comics like me who were on the road to fax in. They called us fax writers back in the day. Fax in topical jokes. So when the word went out, He's replacing Lena, I'm sorry, he's replacing Carson next week. I would I would send in 12 or 24 topical jokes a day uh, until, you know, 
early in the week when he had as many as he could possibly use. And I was getting a couple on every week. And then when Jay took the show over for Johnny, you know, when he got it for real, the most of the facts writers were let go, the contract labor. But he kept a handful of us on. And I rode with him on that uh, journey until he left for CNBC. And here's what a nice guy is. When I had my first open heart surgery in 1995, an aortic valve replacement, and I got into a regular room out of ICU, the first phone call I got was from Leno. Hey, urgent heart surgery. Good thing you didn't have it in L.A. They take it out and leave it out. Get well. So great guy, a lot of fun, and uh, it was a great, it was a great, it makes, if you're writing 12, 24 jokes a day, you, you're thinking funny 24-7. Wow. How awesome. Can you imagine that? Thank you, Julie, for coming. We're, we've got guests coming. We've got the chat open and we're doing great here. But so you were a joke writer. Now you have been in stand-up comedy over 30 years. How did that get started from your jokes? Well, in fourth grade, Sue, at nine years old, I told a joke out loud. The kids laughed. The teacher was so hysterical. She had to excuse herself to go to the teacher's lounge. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be a comedian. And then 12th grade, having taken three years of drama and never gotten a good speaking part in any high school play, I, I, I saw a pattern. So I thought, you know what? If I do stand up, I can write, direct, produce and star in my own little show every night. So I did the talent show in 12th grade and I won. Told my mama. I'm going to be a comedian. And she said, no, son, you're going to college first. I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care. But you're going to be a goat herder with a college degree. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill, got a couple of college degrees, and then got hired by an insurance company on the West Coast, San Diego, where there happened to be, Sue, a branch of the world-famous comedy store, the one that's up on Sunset. And that was the beginning of the end of my insurance career and the beginning of my comedy career. The first open mic night. In the middle of my five-minute set, I heard a voice inside my head that said, you're home. Second thought was, I'm going to do it for a living. I've always threatened to write a keynote, Sue, called, What Could You Do If You Didn't Know No Better? I had no idea how hard it was to make a living doing stand-up full-time. But I said to my girlfriend, now my wife, I'm going on the road to be a professional stand-up comedian. Do you want to come along for the ride? Thinking she'd go, oh, heck no. She goes, yeah. So we gave up our apartment, our jobs, put everything in storage, and we were on the road, she and I, 2,629 nights in a row. Worked with, and back then they put you up in three-bedroom condos, lived with Seinfeld, Dennis Miller, Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Rosie, Ellen, you know, anybody who's pretty much anybody in comedy nowadays, I worked with them when they were just comics, you know, Foxworthy, Ron White, Bill Engvall, though, and then, then did some radio in Raleigh. After that, and then the comedy club thing collapsed and I'd always been a very clean comic. So I thought to myself, you know what? I could be a corporate comedian. And so I joined the Carolinas chapter of the National Speakers Association to learn the business. Because, you know, you're both on stage. Stages are involved in both comedy and speaking, but the vernacular is different. The pricing is different. How you're booked is different. So NSA taught me how. And I was a CSP in NSA for about 10 years. And that, that's how I got into the corporate end of it. And then last recession, you know, the speaker bookings collapsed, even for comedians. And when we came out of it, somebody like you said, I can't, like you, Sue, said to me, Frank, we love you. We, we can't pay that kind of money anymore just to be funny. You've got to teach the audience something. And I'd always wanted to do that, Sue. I always wanted to make a living and a difference. Had no idea how. 
So I picked up a book by a friend of mine called, named Judy Carter. And the book is called The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. And I went into it thinking I got nothing. Halfway through, I thought, oh, my Lord, I do have a story and I do have something to teach. And I decided that because depression and suicide run in my family, my grandmother, my great aunt, uh, I came very close. And because I live with two mental illnesses, um, yeah, they're more nuts in my family, too, than in a squirrel poop. Uh, I thought if I get some training in suicide prevention, get some certification, I could keynote on this. And so I have several certifications now in suicide prevention. And I think the thing I told you off the air that the Montana Hospital Association came looking for me as a suicide prevention speaker. And they said specifically, we want a suicide prevention speaker, but we want to, to lighten it up a little bit. You know, I don't tell jokes. There's nothing funny about suicide or depression. I just share funny personal anecdotes. And that is exactly what they were looking for. So that's, that's how I got to where I am today. How fabulous. I mean, people are looking, even in the midst of the seriousness, how to find some laughter, how to find some uh, things that we can. Isn't that amazing that you can flip that around and that you made that transition? Because that is what it's all about, isn't it? And yes. Transition. And for you, was it extremely hard knowing now part of your past that was it hard to be able to do that and talk about personal stories for you? No, actually, it's um, I find it very therapeutic. Um, I have a condition called chronic suicidal ideation, which means for me and people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution. For problems large and small. When I say small, Sue, I tell the audience, my car broke down. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I could just kill myself. That's chronic suicidal ideation. The upside of telling that story, every time I've spoken since 2014, there's been at least one person in the audience who has that condition. Invariably, they, they don't know it has a name. They think they are just some kind of freak and all alone. I had a young woman come up after a college, showcase, uh, college speech. She said, thanks for your keynote. I said, you're welcome. She goes, but God tell you, it made me weep. It's how to make you weep. She said, you know, your story about the car, get it fixed, buy a new one, kill yourself. I go, yeah. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know that had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak and I was completely alone. And then when I heard you say that out loud, that you live with that, I realized for the first time in my life that I am not alone and I wept. So I feel like, I'm either improving somebody's life or perhaps saving a life each time I speak. So I find that very therapeutic. It, I, somebody asked me, does telling your story over and over trigger you? No, it's again, it heartens me that somebody else can benefit from my, and I think that's my superpower, Sue. I was listening to Brene Brown's book on vulnerability. And about halfway through, I thought, oh dear goodness, that is my superpower. A man on stage, a man especially, being open about emotional and mental issues. That just doesn't happen very often. And so that vulnerability gives other people permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences. That is so true. That is so true, Frank. And it's amazing how suicide today has become a topic because it's so prevalent. You know, I can see more. And my personal story is I'm attending a funeral tomorrow 
Oh. Of one of our best friends who, yes. Died by suicide? Yes. And here's the deal. It it doesn't have to be uh, inherited. And mm. like you said, usually you can see signs. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. And, you know, this was through illness. And, you know, there's all different kinds of, of ways to approach it. But you are helping so many. Because I went back and read some of your material. So I felt better prepared mm. to help his wife, my best friend. And she's doing wonderful because she's understanding exactly what what the what the whole issue was. And it's amazing that you you may not know that that you do help people through other people that you don't even know. And that's that's the beauty of this whole thing of getting mental illness out in the open. Well, and Sue, so that's what you want to do. Is that is that the message yeah. that you bring out there? And I I read Donald Miller's book on on making the other person the hero. You know, make the, so I try to make the people in the audience the hero in the piece. I say to them, look, there's good news. Eight out of ten people who are suicidal are ambivalent. Nine out of ten give hints in the last week leading up to the attempt which means you can make a difference, you can save a life and you can do it by doing something as simple as what we're doing right here. And that is starting a conversation, if you know how, and I'm gonna teach you how before we leave. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm, not, I'm empowering them to save a life. Oh, wow. I can't wait for that because that's part of who you are. Now, another part that you've recently gotten into, now you were a TEDx speaker when I started representing you. Yep. And it was all, I was amazed at your TEDx talks because you just told it like it was, you know, you were authentic. <laughs> They're only 18 minutes long, but <laughs> you can put a lot in those 18 minutes, just like you can pour a lot into it in this 30 minutes. But how did you get started then doing more TEDx and how valuable do you believe that TEDx talks and all for other speakers are important well and i got i got a tweet a tweet um a dm on twitter yesterday from somebody who had just seen my tedx and he said exactly what you said he goes frank that was so refreshing to hear somebody speak so uh plainly and pointedly and honestly about their struggles i applaud you for stepping up on stage and being vulnerable the the way i got into it sue was when, when the speaking business came back and I, I decided what I was going to talk about, I realized it was a very serious subject. So, you know, I've been doing comedy at that point for two and a half decades. Every speaker's bureau on the planet knew me as a funny guy. How am I going to convince anybody I can do something serious? My wife said, do a TEDx talk. And I said famously, what's a TEDx talk? <laughs> and uh, just by chance that week, I saw um, an email that said, apply for this TEDx in British Columbia, which is about six hours north of us. And so I applied and I got it. And from that, it, it's called a matter of laugh or death. And it's my origin story. It talks about my mental illness, my family history with depression and suicides. Uh, as you might imagine, there is some humor in there as well. Uh, leavened with, you know, again, personal stories. For example, 
Um, it's very dark, but I said to the audience, you know, I went on TED to see how other people handled the topic. And I figured out of the hundreds of thousands of talks on TED, there'd be a couple of dozen on suicide. Well, there were three, only three. And then I said to the audience, well, duh. I mean, if you're really good at suicide, let's face it, you're not going to be recording a TEDx talk. And they began to laugh. And they realized at that point that I had a serious message to deliver, but it wasn't just going to be death and dying for 18 minutes. So two other TEDx events contacted me after that one and said, do you have any more mental health topics, another angle? I said, I absolutely do. So I was invited to my next two. And then I applied for, let's see, that's three. I applied for the next four. Yes, I applied for the next four. One of which, by the way, is called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. And they liked the title, subtitle, and the idea so much, I didn't have to audition. They said, no, man, you are on. And this eighth one, they found me on LinkedIn. It's a TEDx in the state of Assam, India. They said, Frank, we cannot find anybody else who talks about the positive aspects of mental illness. You know, the fact that there are many, many talented people who also live with a mental disability. They've got these amazing abilities, but they have a mental disability. And I, I, the title of that one, Sue, is I'm not broken. I was made this way. I believe my depression and thoughts of suicide are simply the flip side of my creativity, imagination, comic ability. And there are dozens of celebrities and famous people and athletes and so forth that have great success, but also live with bipolar disorder, schizoaffective disorder, you know, one of the one OCD. So uh, that's what attracted them is, is I actually, and in India, culturally, they don't, we don't talk about it much over here. They hardly talk about it culturally over there. That's not something they talk about, you know, suicide. Um, so that's, they're trying to change that to, to start the conversation. Wow, this is, this is great. So then the TEDx gives you the credibility to show that you can go from being a comedian to a serious, but still keep the creativity in it. And yeah. that, that's what people are looking for with speakers and everybody today, because they want to make sure that you're engaging them, you know, instead of just lecturing them, you could just give us a bunch of facts and, all like this, but that's not engagement. And that's the key that I see that you bring out in your TEDx, you help others. Now you're helping other speakers do TEDx as well, because you've got that down pat, you know, and it can work for them as well. They're seeing that. So that that's a great gift that you're also applying, as well as being out there still in the speaking world, speaking a message that a lot of people are not willing to discuss, are not willing to hear about. So that is tremendous. Now, who are your ideal clients? Well, and this is something. something about, excuse me. No, go ahead. You said something about you can transition to other topics. So is suicide prevention the whole package or is there other topics that spin out of that that your clients could see? Uh, that's my lane. I don't know if you know Jane Atkinson, but a speaker, wealthy speaker launcher or something. Really, I, I did her podcast not long ago, and I heard that line from her, pick a lane. So in January of 2018, I thought, I've got a networking speech and a motivational speech, but I'm going to pick a lane. I'm going to be a suicide prevention speaker and only a suicide prevention speaker. And then 
And that's one of the great things about TEDx for speakers, Sue, is TEDx, they want one idea. And they want one idea you can sum up in 18 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. And so it forces speakers after fashion to pick a lane. And once, and, and you have to be passionate about it. And once my speakers have picked the lane and pick something they're very passionate about, and we created the talk, then I say to them, look, all the other TEDx coaching companies stop once they've gotten you a TEDx. And that's only half my program. The next half is leveraging it to raise your fees and get more bookings. And I said, the way we do that is we decide five or six ideal clients. And an ideal client to me, they have an annual meeting, they, which means people are coming to the meeting and paying, which means they have a budget to pay your fee. And here's the linchpin, Sue. They have a pain point or problem you're addressing. I tell my speaker clients, look, I don't care how good your keynote is. If you're not addressing a problem or hitting a pain point, why would they hire you? So I picked six of the top at-risk occupations for suicide. I only market to dentists, veterinarians, physicians, uh, attorneys, construction, and agriculture. That's the only, and if you go, if you Google suicide prevention speakers, any of those, you'll find I have at least one listing on Google page one. That's another benefit of selecting ideal clients. You just work on making sure you're up the food chain on page one when, you know, when somebody types in suicide prevention speakers, agriculture. And, but you know, the trick Sue is that speakers, if you tell them you got to pick a lane and talk about one thing, they freak out because they're thinking, well, what about all the other things I do? I'll lose money. Okay. Short-term loss, long-term gain. And here's something you don't know, Sue, that I've created recently because I have other things I can do. So I created a, a fee range, 7,500 to 15,000. And people go, what do I get 15,000? You get the fill in the blank Frank program. I will do five things for you for 15 grand. One, I'll do the keynote. Two, I'll do a breakout. Three, I'll auctioneer your charity or fundraiser auction place. I am an auctioneer. I will MC an event up to three days. And finally, I'll do 45 minutes of stand-up, good corporate clean HR friendly stand-up at your banquet. So I, there are, and what I normally do, Sue, with those items, let's say the client goes, man, 7,500 bucks, that's a lot of money. Well, you're buying me by the day. I'll do a keynote in the morning. I'll do a breakout in the afternoon. I'll do 45 minutes of comedy at your, um, that banquet. And you know, you know, Sue, what meeting planner's thinking, three slots filled one speaker and one travel. Hello. So that's where I use the other things that I can do as an add-on or added added value for the client, make the meeting player happy. Wow. Can you see why he is booked quickly? <laughs> yes. I mean, definitely. Can you see how he pivoted during COVID and didn't have a problem? Right? No. That was that was the key. That was the key. You've given us so much information. Now tell me real quickly, what are the top six industry that uh, suicide is prevalent in the ones uh, that are stressed. The uh, six of the top 10, the ones I, I'll let me give you the top 10 list first and then I'll tell you the six I, I market. It goes like this construction, mining, excavation, fishing, farming, forestry, um, dentistry, veterinary medicine, attorneys, agriculture. And I focus on dentists and veterinarians because they have a very similar business model and similar problems. Most, most, and doctors. Most professionals come out of professional school now, half a million dollars in student loan debt before they open a practice, which is financial stress, which creates mental and physical stress. 
So dentists, veterinarians, physicians, attorneys, I had no idea how bad the situation was with attorneys till I spoke to the South Palm Beach, Florida bar. And, and, and by the way, the people I speak to attorneys, dentists, veterinarians get so far, everybody's gotten some continuing education or some continuing legal education or some continuing medical education. Um, so not only to hear keynote again, more value for the meeting planner, the people who attend get CE. So dentists, veterinarians, physicians, attorneys, uh, construction leads the league, sadly, in suicides. A thousand people die by accident, Sue, every year in construction. 5,000 die by suicide. You're five times more likely to jump off the building than fall off. And agriculture. Farmers, think about it. They're subject to finances, tariffs, commodity prices, the weather. Many solo entrepreneurs, stoic, many are men. Because eight out of 10 people who die by suicide nowadays are men. That's why we wrote that four book series on men's mental health, because it's an epidemic among men, because men don't reach out for help. There, you know, that's, I grew up in the South, Sue, you know this. I was taught from birth, big boys don't cry. And it's killing us. That's one of the reasons that I speak is to give other men and women permission to give voice. And here's how most conversations start after I talk. Because I do a general Q&A and I say, look, you got an individual question or story you want to share and don't want to share with everybody. I'll hang out another 30, 45 minutes. I'll take it individually. The conversations almost always start like this. Frank, I've never told anybody this. I say to them, yeah, I get that a lot. They, it's like they're waiting for somebody to utter those magic words, depression and suicide, so they can give voice to it. Amazing stories. People, some of whom we just met. Well, we definitely are going to have you back. Time flies when we're learning and understanding your message so well. But our closing question is going to be the lead in for you to share what you have for us to take away today, because I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do today to be remarkable? And that leads into what you're going to share with us. Well, being on the Remarkable, this podcast and hanging out with a remarkable woman was kind of a good kickstart to that day. Uh, and I've got a second podcast later on today, again, on my topic, somebody else's podcast, but on my topic. So my goal, my goal, Sue, simply put, is to save a life a day, period, full stop. How do we do that? Well, here's the, here's the signs of depression, because oftentimes people don't know. Eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep. Has trouble getting out of the bed in the morning. And you notice this because they often late to work or school. However, they tend to rally in the afternoon like they're a different person. They tend to let their personal hygiene go. If you see somebody and you think they're usually well put together, but today the hair's dirty, clothes aren't quite so clean. It may be because they cannot get out of bed in the morning to run a load of wash and take a shower. So what do you say to somebody who's depressed? Here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? Here's what you do say, Sue. I'm here for you and I mean it. I know you're not lazy or crazy or self-absorbed. I know that depression is a mental illness. Here's the good news. With time and treatment, things will get better. I will take the time. I'll help you get the treatment. Now, here's the tough part, Sue. At this moment in this conversation, you have to ask in no uncertain terms, are you having thoughts of suicide? If you can't ask that, find somebody who can. And if you can't find anybody, get my number from Sue and I will ask the question. 
because there's an old uh, urban legend that never mentioned the word suicide in front of somebody who's depressed because it would make it more likely. The reverse is true. If you ask them about suicide, they are less likely to take their lives. Now, let's say you think they're suicidal, but they don't admit it. Well, they're getting their personal affairs in order, giving away prized possessions, making sure they go to the people they want them to go to when they're gone. And here's a counterintuitive one, very dangerous. They've been depressed forever, and now they're happy beyond measure for no reason. Well, they may be happy because they've chosen time, place, and method, and they know the pain, which is what suicide is all about. They know the pain is coming to an end. So let's say they do admit, I'm suicidal. I'm having suicidal thoughts. What do you say? Very simple. Do you have a plan? If they have a plan and it's detailed time, place, and method, you need to get them to a mental health facility immediately for evaluation and perhaps medication. Now, let's say they are suicidal. They have a plan, but it's not particularly detailed. What are you going to do then? Well, here's what I would do. I would say, well, tell me, are you going to kill yourself? And if they say no, I say, okay, tell me why not. Make them give voice to whatever's keeping them here. Something is, otherwise you wouldn't be having that conversation. And Sue, that is the protocol. That's a shorthand version of what I teach my audience. I empower them with that information. And I decided, I realized I'm going to start giving out single, single wrapped lifesavers to everybody in the audience. You know, I think it's a wintergreen that comes single wrapped. And I have somebody pass out to everybody a single rep. And I'm going to go, well, now, now that you've heard this, you too are a lifesaver. Wow. Amazing, Frank. Thank you so much for being here today. And I'm sure that I can get from you that information so we can put it on our website, a free gift. Uh, so we'll be talking about that as well. Now, to my audience here today, I love what you shared with us, Frank, so that our audience is more informed. They are better prepared. I'm better prepared for tomorrow. And I ask my audience the same question. What are you going to do today to be remarkable? Frank has given us some hints. So I think we all have learned a lot of things today. Now, please share that with us in the chat or let us know. We'd love to hear what you're going to do today to be remarkable. Now, thanks so much, Frank, for being with us. I knew this was going to be an exciting half hour and we will have you back because there is more uh, of your package that we need to hear about. And uh, the information on the screen of how you can have Frank at your next event, no matter what that is. And remember, he does book quickly. And we hope that you will join us back here next week at this same time, and we will have the remarkable Greg Wong. Now, Greg is a funny keynote speaker, but he's also bringing a message of hope to companies so that we're not canceling laughter. We're encouraging it. How do we get back to the laughter? So that's going to be next week. And make sure that you tune in to our YouTube channel because that's where all of our previous shows, as well as this one, will be up there in a little bit. Subscribe to it so you won't miss a thing because we have so much, just like Frank and others today, that is there. Because you can't write it all down. Because I know that's, that's impossible, but you can go back and look at it because you're going to remember oh, what. Did he say there? 
that's going to be the place to go do that. So we want you to subscribe so you won't miss a channel there. And again, thank you so much for coming, Frank. And thank you, audience, for being here, supporting us. And I hope you have a remarkable fall weekend celebrating today's Veterans Day with our vets. This is a remarkable day. And again, thank you for coming. And we will see you next week.